just so many ways in which LGBTQ people are not fully equal in this state. Out of over 1,700 gubernatorial appointments on state boards and commissions, only five identified as openly LGBTQ. Our community was, was positioned to be particularly hard hit from this. And I don't think a lot of people, particularly decision makers and funders, have really internalized how vulnerable the LGBTQ community was to this pandemic. You can't plan your way out of uncertainty. And so making sure you've got the guardrails up so you don't fall down and fall apart, and then you know trying to stay responsive and flexible in the moment is, is really critical. From Bridger Media, it's Leading Through a Pandemic, a limited series production. I'm your host, Allison Bajacharya. In this series, we get to talk to some everyday people who are work heroes, leading organizations that are serving historically marginalized communities through some crazy challenging decisions during this pandemic. We'll learn how they're approaching choppy waters and how they identify a North Star in a time that is so dark and stormy. Today we get to talk to Brian Johnson, CEO of Equality Illinois, an LGBTQ civil rights organization. Brian and I became good friends over a decade and a half ago when we worked closely together in education. I called him in early May, which now feels like a lifetime ago, to hear how he was doing leading an organization while also parenting and staying sane. He starts by setting the context for where Illinois falls on the continuum of progressive policies for LGBTQ people. On a statewide level, we are one of the most equal and affirming states. I kind of think of us as the cutting edge of what it means to be an equitable state for LGBTQ people. And that being said, there are real pockets around the state where we are not fully equal. And even given the fact that we are an equal state, LGBTQ people still feel and experience real harms. I mean, in in the Midwest, you are less likely to be college educated if you're LGBTQ. We are more likely to be sick. We are less likely to access medical care. And we are um, less likely to be treated equally in schools. And finally, we're more likely to be caught up in the criminal justice system. So even though I think the policy landscape and the power landscape is good for us, and I think we're helping to define what it means to be an equitable state, there are just so many ways in which LGBTQ people are not fully equal in this state. So I'm excited yeah. to you know, hear more about how things are playing out for you. Can you start with just, you know, what were some of the organizational challenges you were facing pre-pandemic? You know, I think we're facing two major types of challenges. So one is making sure we were building our power and a broad organizing strategy that was both consistent and responsive. And what I mean by that is, you know, in a, in a typical advocacy work, what you might do is jump from issue to issue or campaign to campaign. So you find a problem, you find an opportunity, you drill down, you build power, you solve that problem and you move on. But the, the challenge with that is every time you do that approach and then you leave the issue or leave the community, you're not building power. So it's always starting from ground zero. You know, on the other side, we could have built a strategy that was just totally consistent year over year, uh, cycle over cycle. And then we would not have captured opportunities. You know, I always like to say, if you looked at our organizing plan a year and a half ago, it did not imagine a world in which we were going to be trying to drive out the vote for 
a black lesbian candidate for mayor of Chicago. So, uh, you know, we, we had to be responsive to that. So I think there was just, we were really kind of tweaking and, and working around, like, how do you build a statewide organizing strategy that builds power cycle over cycle consistently and that is flexible enough to respond to opportunities and challenges as they come up? So I think that was one set of challenges we were working on. I think another set of challenges was really trying to build a pipeline of LGBTQ people in public office. Uh, and I don't mean just elected office, uh, just in at decision-making tables. I mean, we found that out of over 1,700 gubernatorial appointments on state boards and commissions, only five identified as openly LGBTQ. You know, when we have more elected bodies in Illinois than in any other state in the country, but we only have a handful of openly LGBTQ people in the state's General Assembly. You know, for us, we're trying to build a sense of urgency that we need to build a pipeline of leaders, particularly queer women, trans and gender nonconforming people, queer people of color is really critical. But I think what happens is a lot of funders and community members see these bright lights, like the Chicago mayor or the House majority leader who also uh, identifies as, as openly gay. And uh, we have not been able to support a sense of urgency and commitment to build the bench of LGBTQ people uh, kind of going forward. So that's, that's another challenge we've been working on. And so urgency and need and everything have shifted quite a bit in these times of pandemic for a lot of communities. How One, can you sort of set the stage for how is, how is the pandemic playing out in Illinois in terms of, you know, is there shelter in place and sort of what's the timeline? And then more specifically, what does that mean for you all now and some of the priorities you're working around? Yeah, in Illinois, we've had a shelter in place since mid-March. You know, this is particularly challenging for us because this happens at a time when we do a lot of our in-person gatherings, right? I mean, our legislative session in Springfield only goes through the end of May. Um, so we're usually at this time of year spending a lot of time bringing a lot of people down to the General Assembly to push for good policy, and the General Assembly is just not meeting right now. June is Pride Month. Um, it's in June because it celebrates the time in June of 1969 when LGBTQ people led by transgender women of color were pushing back against police, the Stonewall Bar in New York, right? So June is a very important month for us to celebrate our history of resistance and, and our pride in the face of shame. And so this is a critical time for us as a community to gather and the opportunity to gather and demonstrate our strength on mass is just is has been taken away from us by this pandemic. So, you know, as an organization, a community that that is proving to be really, really difficult. I'll also say for the LGBTQ community, you know, we were positioned to be more vulnerable from this crisis. You know, we are more likely to live in poverty. We are more likely to be sick. We are more likely and not have access to adequate and affirming health care. When we are employed, we're more likely to be employed, you know, at minimum wage or gig economy jobs. And so our community was, was positioned to be particularly hard hit from this. And I don't think a lot of people, particularly decision makers and funders, have really internalized how vulnerable the LGBTQ community was to this pandemic. I think that's so important to point out uh, because 
in this time, we have to think more now than ever about meeting people's basic needs. Like you're not going to get to a really strategic advocacy plan if people are concerned about their health on a daily basis or whether they're going to have a meal or where they're staying. So what does that mean for you all and how are you pivoting your work? So for us, it's kind of a short-term and a long-term thing. So one is gathering our community in ways that we can. So we've been doing virtual town halls once a week where we bring community leaders to connect with our stakeholders. Um, so we've had state senators and state representatives. We've had you know the CEO of Planned Parenthood of Illinois. We have had school leaders and educators. We have had city leaders. We're going to have experts in mental health and the arts and small businesses, like coming together to really share what opportunities and resources there are. So that's been one. Two, building off of that, you know, we step back and thought to ourselves, you know, we are not a social service organization. So we are not positioned to be at the front lines. But what assets do we have that make us unique in this space? And we realize it is our brand, it is our partnership with community leaders in the state and stakeholders. And it is our ability to facilitate and bring people together. And so we've created a navigator hub so that LGBTQ people can access you know, a single place as a jumping off point. They don't have to Google, where can I get mortgage assistance? And where can I you know, get tested? And you know, what can I do for my mental health? They can come to our website to begin accessing the full range of resources that they need. And then the third thing we're thinking about is in the month of pride, how do we create a time for us to gather, right? Uh, it is so important as a community that's not born into ourselves that we demonstrate to ourselves and to others how strong, vibrant, and powerful we are. And just because we are shelter in place doesn't take that need away. So we're working together with lots of community partners and leaders to do a host of programming in June where people can come together, virtually gather, celebrate our community and the like. So that's, that's what we've been doing. And again, it's centered on the, the question, what are we good at? What unique assets do we bring to bear? Because we, what we didn't want to do is do something we're not good at or take up air or take up space where other organizations who might be better suited to do something were, were being crowded out. That's in the short term. You know, in the long run, um, that's really what we're thinking right now. We had a board meeting recently when one of our board members asked me, will this change our priorities? And I said, no, I can't imagine a world in which LGBTQ people are equal in which we don't have good policy, good leaders, and strong power. Like that is always going to be the case. I also said no, because if we're not doing that, then who is, right? It's not like there are a lot of organizations or people kind of working on those three pillars here in Illinois. So it's absolutely incumbent upon us to do that. However, how we implement that or how that's manifested is going to be really different. You know, we're going to be even more conservative with our financial resources. We're going to lean more heavily on remote and digital gatherings and, and power building. Uh, we're going to be really thinking critically about what are the you know handful of things that we absolutely have to do to, to move the ball forward, but we're still going to keep focusing on those three key priorities. How did your uh, virtual board meeting go? Uh, we've had two virtual board meetings in the past month. The first one just started with a wellness check which I, I thought was going to be about a 10-minute piece. Um, it ended up being 45 minutes <laughs> of board members 
just sharing how they're doing and where they are. And these are, you know, these are great board members. I've got, you know, C-level leaders. I've got the former lieutenant governor. I've got, you know, activists and advocates. I've got an incredibly diverse, powerful group of board members. And to hear them open up and talk about where they are and what's difficult for them and what's challenging for them was really powerful. And it was, it was something I, I didn't think was needed for our board members, but it was. When board meetings become therapy, I love it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, it was a little bit of <laughs> I, I think it reminds us just like how important community is and how we have to create community in new ways right now and probably moving Absolutely. forward. If you had a magic wand, you know, what is one resource you would like access to that you think would, you know, position you all for greater strength coming out of the pandemic? I don't know if it's one particular resource, but I would say the suite of resources I think we would need is much stronger remote and digital organizing. Um, I think we have done a host of things in fits and starts over the years, but I think this is just demonstrating the need to be able to to do that. And again, I don't think it's one resource because I think it's, you know, the financial resources to invest in it. I think it's the strategic capacity of smart people who work on this full time to weigh in on this. I think it's training and support. I think it's a new set of tools. But I think that is something that we are behind on. And that was okay when we could meet in person. It is uh, less okay when we're in this new world. For sure. We all suddenly realize we need <laughs> more present mics and um, headphones to get yeah. started. And then we have to think yeah. actually like more strategically about how we leverage technology to draw these connections. You know, what do you hope is true six months from now? A couple things. So one thing I hope is true, just to state the obvious, I hope we have a vaccine. I hope we have a healthcare system that has the capacity to handle COVID-19 so that we can all get back out and engage with each other and do our work together. I think that is the number one thing. I think the second thing I hope is is true six months from now is that our emergency providers, our frontline people, so our healthcare providers, our first responders, our groups providing food security have gotten what they need and that we've moved past the acute phase of this crisis. I think the third thing that I would hope is that our community returns to its focus of a long-term commitment to justice. And by our community, I mean our activists, our donors, our community leaders. You know, Equality Illinois is not something you can build when you need it. You can't underinvest in it and underdo the work and kind of ignore it, wake up five years from now, realize we're under attack and wish we had a strong, thriving civil rights group doing the work. It is something that you have to invest in both with your time and your money year over year, decade over decade to make sure you have it when when you need it most. And I think there are a lot of organizations like that. And so I hope funders and community leaders are able to begin then pivoting back to saying, how do we prop up and continue to invest in the institutions that we know we're going to need when, when the pandemic is over? Is there a lesson you've learned in this pandemic? That is especially (laughs) enlightening, given the challenging circumstances. I don't know if there's a lesson I have learned. I will say there's a couple of things 
that I realize I'm leaning on more than I thought I would. So I remember having a conversation with another nonprofit CEO and we were talking about contingency planning. And he said to me, yeah, like I'm presenting to my board, like a best case scenario, a likely scenario, a worst case scenario. What's all the things we're going to do in those, those environments. And I just said, I am doing a worst case scenario. Can we survive that? And then we're going to move on. And I think that is so counter to me because I am such a contingency planner and uh, let's strategically think through all the different ways that could happen. But I think one thing that this crisis has taught me in the moment is sometimes you can't plan your way out of uncertainty. And so making sure you've got the guardrails up so you don't fall down and fall apart. And then, you know, trying to stay responsive and flexible in the moment is is really critical. And that's a different muscle for me. You know, a couple of years ago, very recently, I picked up snowboarding. And so if you see me on the mountain, I am a 42-year-old novice snowboarder. It's as funny as, uh, as you're picturing. It is, by the way, as an aside, really good to do something that you are bad at in your 40s. It keeps me really humble and helps me practice, you know, that, that muscle of learning. But, you know, one thing that I think about is, you know, in order to get down the mountain in snowboarding, you have to stand tall and stay loose in your knees. And it's the combination of both of those things that allows you to kind of absorb the bumps in the, in the slope but get down. And what I think about that is, you know, that's counter to what I want to do when I'm snowboarding, right? Because I want to do one of two things. I want to crouch down and get really low and bring my center of gravity down. And that would just wipe me out if I hit a bump. Or you have the other instinct, which is to lock your knees and freeze and stand up really tall. And, and that would kind of, you know, not enable you to hit the bumps. And so what you have to do is you have to stand tall and stay loose in your knees, right? You have to be confident. You have to trust you're going to get to the bottom of the mountain. And you've got to give yourself a little bit of grace and flexibility and wiggle room to take those bumps as they come along. And so I think about the balance of both of those things a lot right now in this crisis. That was Brian Johnson, CEO of Equality Illinois. Did you like what you heard? Please download it and share it with a friend. Thanks, listeners. Stay healthy and be well.